The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love of thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Those are verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34, the passage which we're studying to look at the divine attributes of mercy found in those verses during this Advent season of 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Today is one that's going to be a little strange because we, we've talked about these attributes of mercy that are, that are shown here in this passage and one of the things that we, we haven't seen yet is, is something where translations kind of take uh, a certain amount of, of latitude, and here is that. So yesterday, we looked at abounding in steadfast love. We talked about Rav Hesed. Rav is abounding, and Hesed is steadfast love. And now, so he abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. So he abounds in faithfulness, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Yes, but <laughs> this is where translations take liberties. So abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The word for faithfulness here is emits, emits, which is sometimes translated as faithfulness, but, but more frequently it's actually translated as truth. And so when Jewish scholars look at this passage, the truth is the way they translate it here when they talk about these attributes of mercy. Now, it would be easier at almost every level to translate it as faithfulness and let it go at that. But the problem is, is that they're going to they're be translating it for people who know the word. And so they've got to deal with it at some level. So truth and faithfulness can indeed be one and the same, but... Not necessarily, because we can describe it in a different way. Faithfulness and truth, there's a way to translate that that, that's not easy, frankly. Faithfulness is not the best way to translate it because faithfulness can carry so many other meanings. It's not just that he he is faithful to his covenant. No, there's more to it than that. He is true. He is the same, like, like Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We all know that, that God is not changeable. He's not mutable. He doesn't mutate. He is the same God in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. And that's one of the big mistakes that so many uh, would-be scholars, let's call them, make, is they'll want to say, oh, there's a different God in the Old Testament. No, no, no. John's already dealt with that. John dealt with that a long time ago. He dealt with it in the prologue of his gospel. John was very clear about that. And he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he speaks about John the Baptist in parentheses. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And then he goes on to say this, For from his fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. This is Jesus being spoken of. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And he's already said that he was full of grace and truth, and then from his fullness we've all received, grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, only God, 
who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That only God at the Father's side is Jesus. So, and then Jesus makes the claim when he, when he tells the disciples at the, in the upper room, hey, I'm getting ready to leave, but, but you'll come. And he, he says, Lord, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. So the, the, that last statement, if you had known me, you would know my Father also, it, that helps us understand how true and faithful can mean the same thing under certain kinds of circumstances. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And what he's saying is, I'm a true, exact imprint of the nature of the Father, which is exactly what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.4. What he's saying is, is that, that if you truly knew me, if you understood who I am, what I've done, if you understood all that properly, and you will, <laughs> after the resurrection— he doesn't say that, but, but that's the implied portion here. If you knew me, you would also have known my Father. Why? Because I'm a true representation. Uh, true meaning faithful to the original. Right? So, so one of the things, one of the principles in, um, for scribes in Judaism, people who are making copies of sacred texts, biblical texts, that one of the, the things there is they have to be faithful and produce a true copy. It has to be faithful to the original. And, and so they would check it in various maze, ways in, in the scriptoriums. They, they would write, and then at some point, the person would say, hold on a minute, count this many characters, what do you got? All right, now go to this point, what do you got? And so they checked it all the time. If this is wrong, then you have to burn the scroll because it's not a faithful and true representation. So it can't, be, it can't be left for somebody to find later. It had to be destroyed, completely destroyed, if there was an error in it. And so what we get are very faithful scribes. The Word of God is that important that every jot and tittle, as Jesus says, every little punctuation mark, every little accent mark— has to be exactly right, and he came to fulfill every single one of those things. He is true, which means he's faithful to the plan, faithful to reveal the Father in ways that no one else truly can, because everyone else has secondhand knowledge. And it's not only secondhand, it's also situational. It relates to a time and a place. Jesus came to make him fully known. That was the whole point of Jesus' mission, was to glorify the Father. And how do you glorify the Father? By making him fully known. And so that's, that's the issue. So people who argue it's two different gods, no, 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 no. It's you who are having the problem here. Jesus made him fully known, but he did so not by denying anything about the God of the Old Testament, but by revealing him fully as he is. And that's the reason these things like the 13 attributes of divine mercy are so important. It's because we can otherwise focus ourselves on all these other things. Now, it's important for us to recognize that this word true means something a little different than what we might call true, but it certainly means something different than what we might ordinarily call faithful. 
faithful can just mean I, I, made an, I have an obligation, I took on an obligation in a covenant, and, and I'll be true to that. I'll be true to that obligation. I'll do what's required of me. But, but that's not exactly right. It's not exactly right here because it's a part of mercy and truth tends to be thing, the thing that justice seeks out, right? When we go to court, when we do any kind of an investigation, what do we want? We want to get at the truth ultimately. That, that's the goal. The goal is to get the truth, right? And so, so why? Well, because we're all better off if we know the truth. But the other side of it is, is that, that if we can get at the truth in a judicial sense, then we can do the right thing based on that truth. So we can make the punishment fit the crime. That's not the way truth is being used here. It's being used in a, in a way that, that predates, but also prefigures, Plato, the Greek philosopher. And, and what Plato believed and his philosophical system was arranged around, is, is that there are perfect forms. So there are things that, that are, that are uh, sort of hanging out there, and Jung would use these, and he would call these archetypes in psychological language, that, that an archetype or a form, it, it's the, or the ideal, actually, it, it, Plato, is, is that there is a perfect something, whether it's a table, a lamp, a cup, whatever. And, and, and so... People who design those things have an image in their minds put there by whatever. Maybe it's just the archetype that we all have as part of our uh, sort of ethos as human beings. And maybe it's in our DNA. But, but there's an idea of an object. And then from the idea and the ideal of the object, then the things that we have on earth, the things that we design, are copies of those ideals. They'll never match perfectly the ideal, but, but they're copies. They're based on an original concept that we don't quite have access to. If we had access to it, we could make a perfect copy of it. But it's an ideal. So there's an ideal table. Everything we have here is a form of a table. It has the essence of that table in mind. Because to know the ideal is to know everything about it. It's to know the true function of it. It's to know the true and perfect design of it. So, so in that sense, something can be true or not based on its uh, relationship to the ideal. And so that's Plato's way of, of looking at it. And it's the same way in a Jewish understanding of God's creation of the world and of man in particular. You, you've heard me use this before, that in the Talmud there are arguments— and elucidations of uh, of the conversation around will we create man in our image? The we part intrigues them. The we can't be the Trinity, not in Old Testament, not in Judaism, can't possibly be the Trinity. So what they see is, is that God's having a conversation with the angels who were created prior to mankind. And so the conversation goes around this, this whole idea of should I create man? And so what happens is is that, that there's a, an idea inherent in it that in giving man free will lies the possibility that everything is flawed because man isn't an automaton. God doesn't dictate everything that mankind does, and so things can go awry. Well, so the angel, some of the angels said, no, don't create man because then truth will be lost. And then others 
argued in favor of it, and God did it with the belief that, belief not proper for God, by the way, the knowledge, that ultimately what would happen is we would unearth truth because God would reveal it. God would reveal what it means to be truly human. That's most of what the law is. It's to say, if you want to be true to your creation, do these things. So being that way, thinking that way, that, that's, a, that's a nice thing, but I'm not capable because sin has entered the picture, and now I'm fallen. I'm fallen as a consequence of Adam's sin, but I'm further fallen because of the consequence of John's sin. And so then we have to deal with that. So how do we get back to true from where we are? Well, it's by the Word of God. It's by living by the Word of God. And then, even then, they can't do it. So Jesus comes and said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to give you the Spirit, and that'll keep you in line. That'll, That'll show you and direct you in the way that you should go. And you'll be more true because the spirit of truth will live in you and lead you into all truth. That's what he, that's what he promised, that the spirit would lead them, us, into all truth. So, but only to the extent that we listen and obey and walk according to the spirit rather than according to the flesh. And that's most of Paul's argument in Romans 6 and 7. So when you see these things, then you begin to, okay, true actually means something outside of a judicial system. It means something in the sense of that, that it is true to its own nature. It's not something pretentious. It's not something different from the way it was designed to be. And, and so much of, of, of our lives now here in the 21st century is so distanced from the idea of truth. I mean— this whole uh, transgender movement is a complete denial of truth that that I was that, that what looks to be true isn't true I was something else or I should be something else well I don't want to go down that road because I'm I'm denying my own creator and said that there was a huge design flaw he, he apparently didn't understand this and so I'm going to take care of this Mm-mm. No, and that's not the way it goes. So the idea is is that we would come closer and closer and closer to truth, and how do we do that? By following the spirit of truth that Jesus came to reveal to us. What does Jesus reveal about the truth of God? And that is that, that he loves and that he's also judge. That he's outside the system but can work inside the system. He can do miracles. It's not an ordinary way of doing things, but he can do miracles. He can do things you can't do. Um, And that's one of the other serious flaws with liberal scholarship. If I can't do it, God can't do it. Well, then he ain't God. So this, this idea of true here, he abounds in truth. And what does it mean for God to abound in truth? Well, what it means is, is that, that thank God, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. He is constantly and always true. You you can count on him in ways that you can't count on anybody else. I, I can be a true friend, but you know what? The possibility exists in me that I could betray you. That possibility 
doesn't exist in God. Nor does it exist in His Son. Nor does it exist in the Spirit. Those three persons speak one truth. And the Spirit of God won't lead us out of, tr- out of truth or lead us out of conformity with the revelation God has already given of Himself and of us. He will lead us into truth. We will see the truth about ourselves. We'll see the truth about our need. We will see the truth about our state. We'll see the truth about who we really are. And then, when we accept His Spirit, we can also then know the truth of who we ought to be. And then we can follow Him into becoming that thing. And that's the difference between us and God. He is, we are becoming. Now that we understand who we're intended to be, we can pursue it. But we'll always pursue it with flaws. But, but we know what the ideal man is because Jesus came in the flesh and showed us. He revealed true humanity And he revealed the truth about God. And that's why when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's pointing not to a a truth that that can be um, defined and written down and made a list of. No, he's saying, I am truth. I'm the truth about God, and I'm the truth about humanity. I'm showing you the potential for humanity. I'm showing you the, the truth about who you were created to be. That if you cooperated with, with me, then you would see these things. And that's the reason he can say, with, with certainty, greater things than these will you do, because the Spirit will come and live in you. And so something that's true in this sense, it, it, it means that it, that it perfectly reveals the ideal. And so Jesus came to reveal the ideal humanity. And here when it says God abounds in truth, that means that in in one of the ways that the Jewish people look at it is is this idea of becoming. God knows who you will become. God knows because he is omniscient. He has perfect knowledge of of past, present, and future and perfect understanding of these things as well. That's huge because we can have knowledge without understanding. We can see something happen. We can see somebody do something that doesn't seem to be within their character. They're not being true to themselves, and we can ascribe a motive to it, and we can be dead wrong. So we can interpret events completely wrong, and, and that's the reason that we, we have to humbly come before the one who knows truth. It, 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 in Judaism, at a funeral, one of the things that, that they say to one another at the funeral is this, blessed is the true judge. That's comforting to them. Why? Because what it acknowledges is, I don't understand why this happened. But the one who does understand it is true. I can trust him that this is good. And that's exactly the way that Suzanne and I have approached Will's death and and how we try and sort through life. It's, It's just, I trust you because I know that you're great and you're good. And so I trust these things. It's, it's necessary for us to have a God who is true. It, faithfulness means he is always true to his being. There's never a difference. And, and what they believe this represents is, is that God doesn't punish people as they ought to be because he knows that they will ultimately return to him. 
that they will repent of these things. And so he counts at some level that future repentance in the present. And so his judgments are not as extreme as it would appear to warrant. He counts what we will do in the future, that repentance, to us now. And that's the way they understand that. And I believe that to be true, because if it weren't, then, then the world would have ended a long time ago, and he would never have sent his son to atone for my sins. It's a remarkable thing. The, the, the trueness of God is, is an absolutely remarkable thing, and it, it would be well if whenever we face difficulty, we could say to one another, blessed is the true judge the one who understands and knows all these things, we only see in a mirror darkly. And it, it's important as a concept for us, and it's one of the things that we definitely need to praise God for is that he is true. He is true to his very nature. He is true to the revelation that he made in the Old Testament. He is true to the revelation of his Son incarnate on the earth, teaching, healing, making things whole, restoring things, bringing the kingdom of God all the way to the ultimate glorification on the cross, making God's long-suffering and his love for his people known in the face of his son dying on the cross, willingly to take on our sins in order that we might take on his life. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth about the Father and about our human condition, and he is the life. And in those things, we give thanks and praise, and we recognize that no one who has, has ever made him fully known, because no one has ever fully known him except the one who was at the Father's side from before the beginning of all creation. Thank God that he is true to the nature that he has revealed to us.